Turning to our uh, sermon text this morning, the book of Acts, so turn uh, past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, to the book of Acts. This is, uh, uh, as I described it before, kind of a bridge uh, between the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and then his ministry by the power of his Holy Spirit amongst the churches uh, through his apostles. So Acts 5, uh, Acts 6, excuse me, this morning, Acts 6. Uh, you should have a sermon notes page there for you. It gives you the passage itself as well as a quick little uh, sentence summary as, uh, as well as some notes uh, for you to, to fill in if you'd like to help you follow along. So Acts 6, we're going to read this morning just the first seven verses. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And all of God's people say, Well, it's interesting for us to look back uh, on our lives and uh, realize. how, how much we are formed by uh, crises in our lives, by pressures in our lives, by stress or stresses in our lives. For some of us, uh, it was a death of a parent, close friends, uh, or a relative at an early age. I can think back of myself uh, when I was 15 and my grandfather died, and so that uh, experience still sticks with me. The first time I ever saw a dead body and experienced the death of someone I loved that I cared about deeply. But out of that suffering, that pressure, that stress, uh, we, we can learn to deal with grief if, if that was the death of a loved one, for example. Uh, for others of us, uh, perhaps we can think about uh, something in our childhood Uh, Maybe even sports. Losing a close game at a young age for the first time. Again, I can recall uh, losing a basketball game as uh, a 12-year-old, the first organized basketball game I ever played in. Uh, We lost, and I bawled my eyes out. Now, that year we won the championship at the end, so uh, there's the lesson, right? Um, But something like that, right? It could be school. It could be, uh, it could be a f- losing a, 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 a game. It could be uh, something with a friend 
Uh, it could be something on television. Again, as a little kid watching uh, the Challenger explode uh, up in the sky and so forth. Uh, but, but we learn from difficulties and pressures, crises, even things as trite as losing a game. Uh, we can learn to work hard. Uh, we can learn to be gracious even in defeat. So just think this morning, perhaps in your own life, uh, what kind of a crisis or a pressure or something that was very stressful uh, in your experience of growing up, uh, what, what, uh, what was that and how did it form you? How does it still stick with you even today? I mean, the fact that I can remember those stories and I tell them to my kids, right? It means that it sticks with you and is a part of you. So we turn to Acts, and I mention that because we turn to Acts here, uh, and we see the Lord at work again. We see the Lord here doing something in that kind of a time in the life of the early church, to form the church, to gather the church, to establish the church, to give the church some kind of identity. And we've seen from chapter number four, chapters 4 uh, and 5 where the apostles had gone out to Jerusalem. They had been preaching the good news of Jesus. Uh, but yet we've seen crises, we've seen pressure, we've seen great stressors brought upon the church. But yet those things have bound the church together, closer together. It has caused the church, we've seen persecution from the outside uh, and internal Stress and crisis on the inside has caused the church to draw closer together. Uh, It's caused the church to pray more. And it's caused the church to be more confident in the word of God. We saw that in chapter uh, number four, that after persecution, the disciples were, were, uh, the apostles were released from prison. And they went in chapter four and the church rejoiced and they prayed. And we've seen again in chapter 5, the church suffered internal strife, internal division, uh, and even that great wonder and sign of the death of Ananias and Sapphira, and that led the church to be bound together in chapter 5, and to be confident, going out, preaching from from house to house in the temple, verse 42 of chapter 5, They did not cease to teach and to preach that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. And so God uses crisis and stress and pressure uh, in the life of his church to guide it, to strengthen it, to make it what it is. I asked you, I think it was a couple of Sundays ago, you know, if you were to list out the key ingredients, the key qualities, the the, uh, the key marks of what makes a Christian a Christian and what makes the church the church and how the church grows, I asked you to think of a list of things, and I, and I mentioned that no doubt not on that list was the idea of persecution. But here's the church growing. Now in these days, in days just like we've seen, chapter 4 and 5, the external pressure of persecution by the world on the church, the internal pressures that we, have, we can have as a church of moral corruption. We saw that Ananias and Sapphira. It's in these days of persecution and corruption that Jesus was building his church. And in particular, out of this crisis, or out of these crises of external and internal pressures, 
the Lord gifts the church, raises up from the church, uh, those seven men that we uh, traditionally call the deacons, the establishment of deacons. So why do we need them? Why do we need deacons? We had uh, our two, new bro- uh, two brothers uh, a couple of weeks ago ordained, set apart, installed. Uh, we prayed for them, uh, uh, our brother uh, Danny and, and Leroy, uh, as new deacons. But why? Why do we need deacons? Why did the church in the first century need these seven men that we call the deacons? I want you to see here three, three reasons Uh, why the church needed and why we still do need deacons. So why do we need deacons? First, first, to serve the needy. To serve the needy. Again, it's in those days of external and internal pressure and crisis, persecution, corruption. When the disciples were increasing in number... This is the first time that, that word disciples used in the book of Acts. Uh, and it brings our minds back. Notice it says here uh, that the disciples were increasing. Now what part of, uh, of the gospel stories where, where Jesus is speaking uh, of a coming uh, growth and uh, uh, increase of disciples in all the worlds should this bring our minds back to? In the days when the disciples were increasing, where does Jesus describe that? Days to come in which the disciples are going to increase, be made, be baptized, and grow. Oh, come on, people, we know it. I know it's cold out, it's kind of dark in here this morning. Not a lot of light coming through the stained glass, you know, it's a little gloomy here. Uh, it's cold, so, we, you know, it's, it's, come on. Where in the gospel story does Jesus tell his, disciple, uh, his apostles to go out and make disciples? Matthew 28. What do we call that passage again? The Great Commission. Go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And yes, I am with you. Behold, I'm with you all the way to the close of the age. So so Acts 6 is a little summary statement. Acts 6 verse 1. A summary of, uh, of, of Jesus doing just this. So Acts 6 verse 1 is, again, it's a summary of, of those, all those days in the life of the early church fulfilling the very words of Jesus. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So, so in those days, when the disciples were increasing, in other words, Jesus has kept his promise that he is with his church as the, disciple, as the, the apostles are making disciples. So they are increasing in number, but notice that there's this problem, there's this crisis, this stress, this pressure now, uh, and again, it's an internal pressure in the church. As the church is growing and flourishing and, and being blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ with the power of His Holy Spirit, a complaint, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, the the widows, the, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So just a couple of background things here. We've got to know, you know, what's going on here. Luke is just summarizing for us. What's he saying here? When he says here, Hellenists, who's he talking about? 
what's a hell? Good, yeah, Greeks, right? Hellenists uh, are uh, these are these are Jewish Christians who spoke Greek and whose culture was Greek. Uh, most likely, these were Jews who, in the what's called the diaspora, the dispersion of Jews from the Promised Land throughout the ages. We just read about an example of that, Ezekiel four. The Babylonians are going to come, uh, the Assyrians are going to come, or the Assyrians first, and the Babylonians against the north and against the south. And they're going to not just siege Jerusalem, but they're going to take them captive and spread them across the ancient world. That's called the diaspora, the dispersion. Now what happened was, throughout uh, the ancient world, especially during the, the, the reign and uh, the kingdom of Alexander the Great, uh, Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, was spread around, uh, and many people uh, across the ancient world spoke Greek. And so their culture was Greek. These are Jews ethnically, but they're culturally Greek. They speak the language of Greek, and they went to Greek-speaking synagogues. Uh, there, are, there were Greek-speaking synagogues even in Jerusalem. Uh, and so these, uh, uh, the widows in those now Christian congregations in Jerusalem throughout Judea, Jewish, Christian, uh, Greek-cultured widows, are now complaining to the apostles that the Hebrews, are called here the, translated as the Hebrews, that they're getting daily distribution first. Now, the Hebrews, these are, again, these are ethnically Jews, but now they are Christians, and they speak, it says here Hebrews, but they speak Aramaic. They speak Aramaic, that's spoken, uh, the spoken language of the, of the Hebrews, of the Jews. So you have here tension. Uh, notice they're, they're sta- the same ethnic group, but it's a cultural difference, uh, a language difference, and there's this complaint Within the church now, that as every day, uh, all, all the funds that were being sold, we saw that again with Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a field, uh, they, they, they sold their lands, they, they sold uh, the things they owned. Uh, the, the positive example uh, of that we saw last Sunday was Barnabas, uh, Joseph called Barnabas. He sold a, some land, gave it to the apostles, and the apostles every day would buy food and uh, provide for widows. There were no 401ks in those days. There, were no, uh, there was no Roth IRA, right? There's, there was no retirement plan, no, no Social Security. Uh, and especially as now Christian, Jewish Christians kicked out of the synagogues, they didn't have the safety network that they would have had if they would have stayed Jewish. And so the church has to provide for its own. And they were doing that every single day. But these... Jewish Christians, these Greek-cultured Jewish Christians, are complaining that every day when they come to get bread, for example, that they're being neglected uh, some way, somehow. Maybe they're getting less. Maybe they're last in line. Maybe the, the, uh, maybe the, uh, the Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians, maybe they're cutting a line. Maybe they felt entitled because they spoke Aramaic. They didn't speak Right? Uh, they didn't speak uh, Greek, that, you know, that, that language that, 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 uh, that's not the language of heaven. They didn't speak Hebrew, you know, Aramaic. We're not exactly sure what, but they're, but they're complaining. They're being neglected somehow. 
In fact, uh, Luke uses a word here, uh, gangusmos. It's the word for com- that they complain. That's the, the, the form of the word here. It's the same exact word that was used in the Greek Old Testament of the grumbling and the murmuring and the complaining of the ancient Israelites against Moses. When the Jews came out of Egypt and they complained and they grumbled, what do they complain and grumble about? There's no food here, right? Like there's, there's no meat to eat. There's no bread to eat. There's no water to drink. Those complaints or those grumblings, those murmurings you read about in the book of Exodus, when that, when that Hebrew text was put into Greek, that same word that's used here to translate uh, grumbling and complaining and so forth, uh, that, that's the same word, the same word from the Old Testament now here in the New. In other words, the covenant people of God, there's strife, there's struggle. And these Jews who become Christians, they are now exiles and strangers from their own people because now they worship uh, as Christians. They've perhaps been kicked out of the synagogues and they feel very uncared for. Thankfully, though, thankfully, though, so all that, for, all that is background, thankfully the apostles don't grumble back. Okay? They see this as an opportunity, in fact, for the church to grow and to grow spiritually. The 12 apostles, they summon, we are told here, the full number of the disciples. So as many, as many disciples as there were in Jerusalem, they, they summoned together uh, what must have been a very massive congregational meeting. So thankfully we have good elders who lead our congregational meetings every year, and they're nice and orderly, right? Nice and, nice and calm. Uh, and we would pray and hope that it would have been the same then. And the apostles advice uh, to the assembled church was it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The apostles were doing everything just as Moses was doing everything in the wilderness and then the, and then the Lord told Moses to set apart for himself 70 men uh, full of wisdom to serve. And so notice the solution was for the congregation, the disciples, the people of God to pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, verse 3, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. One of the beautiful things about this passage and this uh, apostolic example is this. Notice those seven names of those seven men that are appointed or that were set apart and eventually were, uh, their hands were, laid upon, uh, hands were laid upon them. They were ordained to this ministry. Notice those names, those seven names. They may not mean much to you, but uh, one of the beautiful things that we see here is that these seven men all have Greek names. They all have Greek names, not Jewish names. The Greek-speaking widows were complaining, and so from among Greek-speaking men, seven are chosen to serve not just Greek-speaking widows, but also the Hebrew-speaking widows. In other words, to serve both groups, to unite them together, to join them together, uh, to enable them uh, both to receive the blessing of being provided for by the Lord through the hands of the seven men who are receiving the monies and the gifts from the whole 
congregation. And I should also mention, just in passing, uh, sometimes people ask the question, well, why, why do we only have men serving as deacons? And this text is one of the reasons why, uh, because when it says there, uh, uh, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. It doesn't say seven men, the, the generic Greek word for mankind or hu- a human being. It's not seven human beings, uh, seven men. Now, I know that might sound controversial today, um, not just in the church, but in the culture, but uh, these are seven male adult human beings. Okay? We're clear on that? <laughs> so, that this is one of the reasons why we have male only, not just pastors, elders, but also deacons. Because the example of the apostles was to set, up, set apart seven males, seven men. Not that women are less, not that uh, only men can... Can, can, can serve tables and so forth? No, which is in God's wisdom. This is how the church operates. Uh, this is how it works. And these are, uh, notice they're not just any men, right? Sometimes, you know, oh, you're, you're so misogynistic and the church is so patriarchal and we've got to break the patriarchy today and so forth. These are the men who are full of the Holy Spirit. These are godly men who are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Uh, these are men, uh, as the example there of Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It's not just, you know, any ragtag seven men. These are seven men that stand out above the crowd uh, as examples of godliness uh, and of faith uh, and love. So I want you to see two practical points there. Uh, just from here, this example of, of these widows complaining and the apostles' response. Uh, first of all, this. Uh, the apostles took the complaints seriously. The apostles took the complaints of these Uh, these uh, Greek-speaking Jewish Christian widows, they took their complaints seriously. So practically speaking, we can learn this. Uh, If you, as a member of this church family, are struggling with something being done or not being done in the church, uh, I exhort you not to complain, not to grumble, not to murmur, uh, which is a, a natural, human, even sinful uh, you know, predisposition that we all have, but I encourage you to tell the leaders of this church your concern. The elders, the deacons especially, take those complaints uh, to those leaders. And leaders, elders and deacons, take those complaints seriously. Sometimes they are just complaints, and they've got to be dull. Sometimes there are complaints that have a grain of truth, and we have to sift through and find, you know, what really is someone saying to us, and we have to come up with a good solution, just like here. So if there is a complaint, don't just complain. Tell the leaders, leaders receive the complaint, even here as the apostles, with seriousness. Secondly, the whole church needs to be involved in whatever solution to those complaints. So we can sometimes have, in Reformed churches, we can have this idea that uh, the deacons are the only servants and the only ministers of mercy. We call the deacons ministers of mercy sometimes. And we can think that only the deacons, or the deacons only, are those kinds of servants. As long as we got, you know, the seven, or whatever number we might have. I think we have five right now. As long as we have those guys, you know, we're good to go. We can all wash our hands. We just put some money in the basket and we're good, right? The church has to be involved in 
the solution. Yes, the deacons are, in our understanding, that they are in charge of coordinating and overseeing mercy uh, within our midst as well as outside of our midst, but they need your help. Where did these seven men get the money to buy the food to give to the widows? From the congregation, right? So, in other words, very practically speaking, tell the deacons, the five brothers in our congregation, tell the deacons of needs, your need, the needs of someone else, maybe who is perhaps shy or just ashamed or just doesn't really feel up to saying something to someone. Tell them the needs that you know about. Even ask the deacons how you can help with those needs. And if there's a lack, be willing and ready to give in some way, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, to give to relieving those needs. And so why do we need deacons to serve the needy? In this case, to serve widows. Because God took widows and orphans and strangers, those outsiders, took them seriously and under his particular personal protection in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it was the priests, especially, who were tasked with helping the needy. And here we see the church uh, adapts that very same principle uh, to its work towards the needy. What do we need, deacon? Secondly, Secondly, uh, to assist the ministry of the word. To assist the ministry of the word. The apostles here are no, we're, we're, we're no doubt overwhelmed We've seen them so far. They're preaching from house to house. That's the end of verse, chapter 5, uh, verse 42. Uh, they are preaching, teaching from house to house, as well as in public. They're there in the temple daily uh, during the times of the uh, Jewish sacrificial uh, uh, morning and evening prayers. They're in the temple, not just praying and worshiping, but also preaching. Uh, they're doing that. They're preaching, they're praying, and they're also providing for the tangible mercy uh, of those widows. Like ancient prophets, the apostles' main tasks were ministering, speaking forth the word, preaching, and praying. But because the church was growing so much, because there was not yet any uh, revelation from the Lord on how to deal with tangible needs, the apostles were feeling the pressure, the stress of leaving the ministry of the word for another ministry, which is serving table, serving the needy, verse 2. And so by adding other ministers, these are ministers of mercy, as the deacons sometimes are called, ministers of mercy, to assist alongside of the ministers of the word and the sacraments, the apostles, by doing that, verse 4 says, could devote themselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. Now go back with me in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 42, really quick. Just one verse there to look at. Again, this is one of Luke's summary statements of what was going on up to that point. And that really summarizes what the church should be about uh, even today. Uh, Notice in chapter 2, verse 42, speaking of uh, those 3,000 souls who were added and the disciples in that upper room, all together now as one body of Christ, one family of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of, I mentioned, the bread and the prayer. So 
that language of devotion to those four things, the word, uh, the fellowship, the prayers, the, the public worship and service of the church, as well as the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper. Uh, notice that that very same language now of all believers being devoted to the ministry of the word, just to pull that one out. The church was devoted to the ministry of the word, the teaching of the apostles. Now, notice chapter 6, again, verse number 4. The apostles call upon the church to set apart for themselves seven men, these seven deacons, so that uh, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So how can all the church devote itself to the word and the prayers if the apostles didn't have time to devote themselves to the word and the prayer? So you see, it's not just that the ministers are set above or apart or they're different from everybody else and they get to do, you know, the Bible stuff and everybody else just has to get the crumbs under the table. No, it's that all of us have to devote ourselves to all this ministry. Some serve others, but in this case, everyone is devoting themselves to the word and to the prayers. But the apostles were overburdened, and so they, they, couldn't, they couldn't provide for that need of all the body because there was a part of the body that had other needs. And so they were taking up uh, perhaps more time uh, than they, uh, they themselves even felt they had uh, to serve widows. And so... They needed assistance, and that's what the deacons do. Uh, the apostles here aren't saying that the ministry of serving tables is below the ministry of the word, but that if they did the ministry of tables, the ministry of mercy, then their other ministry of word and praying would be hindered or just not done very well. Just not done very well. The deacons, as a separate kind of minister, a minister of mercy, they have this dignity and this office, this responsibility uh, to serve alongside of the ministry of the word. So that the minister of the word can, uh, the, the apostles could devote themselves to preaching and praying so that everyone was blessed, right? So that everyone was blessed. Widows included. But if all their time, or if a bulk of their time was on the widows, then how would the rest be assisted? So they are necessary to assist the ministry of the word. How? How did they assist the ministry of the word? Let me just give you three, three ways in which they assisted the ministry of the word in those days and even today. Uh, first and foremost, very practically speaking, the deacons freed up the servants of the Lord, the apostles, the servants of the word, the ministers of the word, to actually spend time in the Word. So that they could then serve that Word. Right? There's serving tables and there's also serving the spiritual table, the, the Word of the Lord and the, the Lord's Supper. So the deacons, practically speaking, give the minister of the Word the time that he needs to do that pre preparation to serve up the spiritual feast of the Word to us that all of us need for our souls. That's the first way in which deacons serve and assist the ministry of the word. Secondly, uh, they, uh, in doing that, they enable the minister to be a living example before the people of God. Again, notice that the church's devotion to the apostles' doctrine and the prayers in chapter 242 
is reflected in particular in the minister of the word and sacraments. In very practical terms, you know, just speaking of myself, you know, how can I expect you to devote yourself to a life of reading the Bible and praying if I don't? You can see that, right? If they're just spending all their time, the apostles, all their time serving uh, tables, buying food, organ- uh, taking offerings, buying food in the marketplace, bringing it back, setting up tables and so forth, cleaning up tables, serving, serving the needy, uh, how could they give an example to the people of God of devoting themselves to the word and to prayers? And the same thing today. So the, uh, the, the deacons help me, just very practically speaking, help me, enable me, empower me, uh, to be a, an example of reading the Bible, of praying, because they give time for that. When deacons do their ministry well, then the minister can do his ministry well, and which in turn helps all of us, helps all of us to receive the word and to pray the word. How do the deacons assist the ministry of the word third? They show in their deeds what the ministry of the word expresses in words. We have the words of the Lord, then there are very practical deeds of the Lord. God is a God of mercy and grace and benevolence and kindness and love, and he gives us that in Jesus Christ, and the deacons show that. Intangible acts and deeds. The ministry of the word is like the mouth of Christ amongst us. The deacons are like the hands of Christ amongst us. And by setting and serving up uh, and serving tables, literally in the days of the apostles, and that can still happen today, but it can mean other ways as well. But by literally setting and serving tables, they demonstrate the love of Christ that is preached to the people of God in the word. And so the ministry is not just words, it's also actions. It's not also just actions, it's also words. They go together. And these men are full here. They're full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they demonstrate that in how they serve tangibly those in need. So why do we need deacons? Final reason. To grow the church. To grow the church. Again, there's this crisis. There's this internal uh, squabble going on. There is pressure and there's this intense division amongst the church and amongst the widows of the church. And the solution of the apostles that involves all the congregation to set apart these seven men ultimately is so that the church would grow. It's in these days when the disciples were increasing... And notice how verse 7 again uses that word disciple. I mentioned in verse 1, it's the first time in Acts that word disciples used. Verse 7, notice the result. Again, under a summary statement of Luke. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied. So the, so the church is growing in the midst of all the problems that chapters 4 and 5 described. Now there's another problem, and, and the result of that is yet another period of growth. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And amazingly, even a great number, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 7. Notice that personification, as, as we call it in literary terms. 
the word of God increased. The word of God increased. That's a personification. That's describing the word of God, right? The preaching of the word of God as if it were a living person, a living reality. That's what personification is. Describing something in living, breathing human terms. The word of God increased. And we're going to see this phrase again and again and again and again and again in Luke, uh, in Acts. What does Luke mean when he says the word of God increased? How does the word of God increase? What does that mean? Notice he defines it. He gives us that second little clause there in verse 7. To say the word of God increased means what? What's the second part of that that verse verse 7? The number of disciples increased, right? Multiplied greatly. For the word to increase means that the church increased, the people of God increased. Not just in their personal qualities of faith, hope, and love, and so forth, but actually uh, in number. So as the word increases, as the word is able to uh, be proclaimed, as the, as the apostles were set apart for the ministry of the word and praying, as they were enabled to, to devote themselves to that, and then to, and then to, and then to, uh, uh, to give the people, all the people of God the results of all that in their preaching and teaching, the disciples grew. The disciples increased. The church was built up. The church was built up. The word of God continued to increase. Let me just apply this to all of us. Not only do I need the deacons, so I can say that, I need the deacons, The deacons need you. The deacons need you. Not only do the deacons assist me as a minister of the word, but the deacons need you as the body, as the church family, to assist them by giving them the ability to serve. The tangible means to help someone. A tangible way to take with their very hands and to give somebody in tangible need the things that we say that we believe and proclaim. And when you see this, the, the, the deacons serving, and it might just, you know, we might think of the deacons maybe in trite ways. You know, they, you know, they, they pick up these, you know, these baskets, they pass them around. Maybe you see them counting money at the end and so forth. That's not all they do. They don't just take money, right? Their job is to take the gifts that we give and to steward them, uh, to use them to provide not just the needs here, but also outside. And so when you you see them serving, let them be an example to you. And so ask yourself, when you see the deacons serving, how can I help this church tangibly? And I've mentioned before, time, talent, treasure. Those are the tangible ways which we can Perhaps help the church. Time, talent, treasure. When you see them serving, ask yourself, how can I help this church grow by the blessing of the Lord? Because all of your tangible acts and services and self-sacrifices 
whether those who make a list of who's going to bring snacks or who's going to bring snacks or showing up early to help set up or staying late to clean up or being the face of the congregation to to a newcomer to greet somebody, to go out of your way to welcome somebody who's sitting close to where you're sitting and they don't know where the hymnal's at or they don't know where to turn in the bulletin and so forth. Be assured that all those little acts of service are seen and used by God, most of all. And so, do you want your church to grow? And the answer is, of course, yes. Well, how? By serving. By serving. That's what Jesus did. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus calls us to serve. He called the, he called the apostles to serve the church by studying the word and proclaiming the word and praying for the congregation. He called the deacons, these seven men, to come alongside the apostles to serve by taking the funds, buying the food, setting up the tables, orderly distributing that money and that food to widows and those in tangible need. And all the congregation was involved by giving the, the, the money, uh, by, by, by nominating the seven men whom the apostles then laid hands upon. The whole church is involved in the work of the ministry. You may not be a preacher, you may not be a deacon, but you are a Christian. And you're called to serve. And your service is no less significant than being a preacher. Or being a deacon, or being an elder, or whatever it might be. Your little act of service, your praying for the church, is just as significant as my praying for the church. And so to grow the church, the church needs servants. Why? Because then we read there again, verse 7, the word continued to increase. That's ultimately what we want, is we want the word to increase its effectiveness and its power and its authority in our lives so that we are changed, that we grow, so that others would come to grow along with us. And so Jesus calls us to serve today in the example of the deacons, these seven men. Let's pray. Our great and our gracious God, we thank you for the, the blessing of belonging to you, our great serving Savior. And so, Lord, as those that you have come to serve and to give your life as a ransom, may we now, Lord, in response and in gratitude, be willing and able to serve in whatever way we can, to serve you, to serve this congregation, to serve the needy, to serve the lost. And we pray that in all that, in all that, ultimately it would be to your glory because the word would increase. And the more the, more the word is increasing, the more the word is uh, prevailing, being taught and proclaimed and having its way in our lives, the more you're honored and glorified. And we pray, Father, that now, now as we come uh, to the Lord's Supper, this table, uh, where you serve us through the hand of a minister, bread and wine, which are by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the blessing of prayer, set apart so that we might receive and feed upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ in that mysterious of ways. We pray now, Lord, that you would bless us and enable us to receive your service to us, that we might go out and serve. And we ask it all in Christ's name and all of God's people say, Amen.